Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, November the 27th, the Monday after Thanksgiving. Uh, tomorrow, I've got an interesting show coming up with a Stanford historian. She has a massive new book out. Uh, it's a major biography of the great 20th century American uh, economist, Milton Friedman. It's called The Last Conservative. I, I guess not everyone would agree he was great. Some people think he was gross or evil. Others think he was great. Certainly a controversial conservative. Uh, and he was a remarkable man, had an enormous influence on the 20th century. Hadn't quite realized, though, that uh, his wife was also very active with him, and they co-wrote a book uh, called Free to Choose, A Personal Statement, a book I think that came out uh, in 1990, a very influential book. So influential, in fact, that it is the ninth book uh, in the series that we have been following with C-SPAN on books that shaped America. Um, Peter Slen, uh, old friend, he's been on the show eight times. This is his ninth time. This is the ninth book. Were you surprised, Peter, that Rose and um, Rose uh, and uh, Milton Friedman should show up in, in books that shaped America? They're in August Company with the Federalist Papers and uh, uh, Du Bois uh, and, and many other leading figures in America. Not at all, not at all. When Free to Choose came out in 1980, Milton Friedman already had a reputation ahead of that. And by the time Free to Choose came out, based on the PBS TV series that he and Rose put together, um, his influence was pretty widespread. It was widespread in conservative circles and libertarian circles. Ronald Reagan, followed Milton Friedman closely, Margaret Thatcher, both of them adopted uh, as much as they could uh, Friedman principles. And so Milton Friedman had already had a pretty strong reputation. This was a book, this was his what, fifth or sixth book. The first one he came out with was in 1957. So Monetary History of the U.S. came out in 63 and, and uh, he was teaching at the University of Chicago, so he was already quite well known. And he was also, in a sense, charismatic. And as you know, that helps to get your message across sometimes. He's a very, very approachable, very generous speaker. And the PBS series, Free to Choose, was a 10-part series. And talking about economics, et cetera, and, and what it means. And it was very, very popular. Um, so, no, I was not surprised by this at all, Andrew. This is the second book in the series to be co-authored. The first one was the Meriwether Lewis and William Clark book, History of the Expedition Under the Command of Captains Lewis and Clark. It was the third book in the series. Uh, tell us a little bit about Rose Friedman and her influence on the book. Um, it's often thought that when these great men, and I use that, that that word carefully, when they write their books, often they're written with or sometimes by their wives. Their wives don't always get the acknowledgement that they deserve. 
How central was Rose Friedman, do you think, in, in the writing of this book, uh, Free to Choose? Yeah, there's a reason the phrase behind every great man is a great woman um, uh, is it's fitting in this case. And there's a reason that that phrase works. Rose also was a University of Chicago student. She did not get her PhD, didn't finish her PhD there, but did the work on it. She wrote several, she co-wrote several of the economic books that she and Milton worked on, including one in 1962, I believe, Capitalism and Freedom. And Rose was very strong when it came to school choice. She co-founded with Milton Ed Choice, uh, is the name of the, the group they founded, and it was about school vouchers. She was from the Ukraine, and she was born there in 1910. And she was just as influential in a sense, behind the scenes as he was in front of the camera or as the face of their message. They pretty thoroughly agreed on, on what they were talking about. So that made it a strong, strong joint project. So never underestimate her. And in fact, when we've had them on, in the past here on C-SPAN, in 1994, we had them both on. And then we had them both on for a book, a long form book program, because we did not want to deny Rose's voice and let her be completely overshadowed by Milton. Milton was the face. He was the University of Chicago school and professor. So, but don't don't deny her her choice. Or, don't or underestimate what? Rose Friedman, famous words from there people then. Uh, Peter, the book is free to choose a personal statement. Um, how much of this book is personal as opposed to the work of, shall we say, Friedmanite economics, what some people call neoliberalism? How much of it refers to the history of 20th century economics, Hayek, Mont Pelerin, and the whole reaction against Keynesian economics? Yeah. Um the way it's written, Andrew, it is personal. It is written to be accessible. The television series was accessible. It came out, I believe, in February of 1980. And again, the book is tied to the television series. One of the first things and one of the most famous things that Milton Friedman does in that series and in his lectures and in his 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 mean is he tells the pencil story and he holds up a regular yellow pencil and he says nobody in the world knows how to make a pencil and so you start to think well pencils are kind of simple and he traces it back to you got to find the lead you got to harvest the wood oh and the steel that goes into it and by the way the machines that make the steel that harvest the wood that that uh find the lead um, you've got to make those. So he he takes that simple, simple object and he shows you how complex it is to make that pencil. And part of Milton's point is the inner workings that come together to create this pencil. The, the other half of that is if a government said, you must now make a pencil, well, it would be a disaster. 
this was the free to choose part is let's make a pencil and I'm going to hire, incorporate all these different systems to help make this pencil. And that's the free to choose part. So he brings it down to a very, very accessible level. Um, some of his other themes that he talks about include inflation, the causes of inflation, something we're talking about today. Um, the role of labor unions and wages and minimum wages. And he voices his views on those or they voice their views on those as well. Um, so it is it in the personal part of that, he does, they, I, I apologize, they write it so it's accessible. And I should, should mention, I don't have the copy of the book in front of me, unfortunately, but on the front is a picture of Milton Friedman. And then you flip it over and there's the same photo, but of Rose Friedman. So it is a, you know, it is a they project. We are speaking with Peter Salan, executive producer at C-SPAN uh, and the presenter of a series, 10 Books That Shaped America. We're dealing today with the ninth book, Free to Choose, a personal statement by Milton and Rose Friedman. Uh, Peter, you mentioned the, the pencil example. I'm not sure if Adam Smith put that in his great work on economics and one of the foundational works of, of, of economics, but it's certainly that theme of the division of labor is central in Smith's work. And yet Smith was much less of a ideological free market person than, than Friedman. In this book, Free to Choose, do Milton and Rose Friedman, do they acknowledge any role for government or is this a hardcore libertarian text? There is a definite libertarian streak. And this is not, not the extreme libertarianism that can be exampled, as it were, if you want to make a point about, you know, if you're anti-libertarian and you want to make a point about how awful libertarianism, well, you know, who's going to build the roads, who's going to do this and that. This is not an extreme libertarianism. They were, I think it's safe to say, pro-choice, not anti-gay marriage. So when it came to the social issues, that it was a free to choose aspect to that. Um, they were very strong conservatives with a very strong libertarian streak in there, but it was not a case that, that there was no role for government. When it came to economics, there was very little role for government in their thinking and they find that often in their view government is the cause of inflation government is the cause of of uh depressions government is the cause of things like this these these big national events that happen in our world so but it, it was not a complete anti-government position no the book was in part uh, a response, uh, and then the television series that came out of it, a response to John Kenneth Galbraith, another very influential 20th century American economist, his age of uncertainty. Uh, so there is a polemical element here against Galbraith. But was the 
Yes. Was the in in, in ideological terms, in terms of uh, the personal statement is free to choose. Was it a, a Cold War book? Was the the enemy lurking in the background of the book? Was it Soviet communism, or was it the New Deal of FDR? Was it a, a stronger American state? In other words, was the book more about the, the the global conflict between capitalism and socialism, or was it directed more at an American audience and this endless debate between? free marketers and Keynesians when it comes to the management of the American economy. Yeah. In all 10 books that we did on books that shaped America, Andrew, you have to remember the times that it was happening and, and it put it in that context, of course. And Milton Friedman worked in the Treasury Department for a couple of years during World War II uh, when FDR, of course, was president and some of that influenced his thinking. Um, so yeah, there was, put it in context, the Soviet Union, the managed economies, he was not, his role was not to be a leading anti-communist. His, his role was to be a leading managed economy foe. So from the economic point of view, he took on that and he would see the freedom of the American economic system, as it were, uh, to be the correct course. The book came out in what, 1980, uh, Peter? 1980, yes. Was there an element of victoriousness? Because by then, uh Friedman had essentially won hadn't he or, or 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 did he still see himself and his worldview or the Friedmans did they see their 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 right to to be free to choose their position as being one still in the minority well I, I'm going to take a little issue with you there because he he had not won uh the book came out you know the election of 1980 Carter Reagan uh, was in November. This right. series and book came out in maybe February. Um, it was certainly read and, and looked at by the Reagan people, but Friedman had not won. He, he had seen the New Deal come through with all the government programs that it created, and then LBJ's Great Society and all the government programs that it created and Reagan was ascending at that time, but Reagan was not president and his ideas were getting more and more out there, but it still had not happened. If you go back then and look at the Reagan administration, you know, sometimes reality is not the same as speechifying. And you change is often incremental. And I think if you looked at the, the Reagan administration, you would see it incremental changes in economic behavior and policy. None of us has that magic wand where we can just wave away the past and start afresh. And, but when you're speechifying, you have a magic wand and you wave away the past and you say this and that and that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. All candidates do this. This is 
<coughs> this is not um, just Reagan. So there was incremental change and there was a thinking change about the role of government. Ronald Reagan's favorite joke uh, that he would tell mm. everywhere is, you know, I'm here from the government, or the worst words he ever heard, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. And so that kind of thinking got embedded in policy and in people's minds. And that, I think, was more of the effect of the Reagan revolution than, than actual change. Government still grew. Deficit still grew. So once you get on a certain course, you know it's kind of, it's almost on autopilot after a while. Yeah, I take your point. You're right, of course, that in 1980, um, the Freedmans hadn't won. They were about to win. Reagan was coming to power. Was there anything in this book about a struggle for the soul of the Republican Party? You mentioned... Uh, uh, the, the new society, LBJ, um, civil rights legislation. There was a, a part of the Republican Party, the centrist Rich, Richard Nixon part of the party, that wasn't Freedmanite, wasn't as obsessed with the free market. Reagan at, in 1980 was still, or certainly in the late 70s, was considered quite a radical. Some people thought he was insane. Uh, so So was there an attempt to win over the Republican Party, or, or is there le less politics in this book? It, you know, we re really didn't get into the intra-GOP squabbles in, in our discussion or in this, and that was not something I thought much about. What I did think about, though, was, um, and but now that you raise that, sure, that, that centrist right squabble in the Republican Party has been going on, you know, forever and ever. Amen. Um, but one of the things that Milton and Rose Friedman did talk about was creating outcomes and forcing outcomes, declaring ahead of time, for example, equality is very important. Well, I don't think many of us would disagree with that. But how do you get there? And is it a quality of outcomes or is it a quality of opportunity? One of the things that the Freedmans had to say in Free to Choose is a society that puts equality in the sense of equality of outcome ahead of freedom will end up with neither equality nor freedom. The use of force to achieve equality will destroy freedom and the force introduced for good purposes will end up in the hands of people who use it to promote their own interests. So you read that sentence, he's looking at, they're looking at outcome rather than opportunity. They're looking suspiciously at those who are deciding what equality should be. Um, and so there was a cynicism about who's pulling the levers and creating the policies. 
We are speaking with Peter Salem, the executive producer of C-SPAN and the mind behind a, a, a series that we have been following on this show, uh, 10 Books That Shaped America. We're on the ninth book, Free to Choose, a Personal Statement by Milton and Rose Friedman. Fascinating book. Uh, I want to thank uh, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics that often debates the merits and demerits of the free market going to run a, a short feature on liberties and then we'll be back with peter to talk about the consequences of of this book free to choose of all the books i think covered in 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 the series this is a book that's perhaps had more impact on contemporary america than any other so we'll be back in a second with peter slam beyond the news the noise there is nuance insight liberties it's not just a journal of ideas it's a meteor of intelligent substance it's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. Str strongly recommended an excellent new publication. We are speaking with Peter Slen, executive producer of C-SPAN, uh, the man behind a, a wonderful series coming to an end now, uh, 10 Books That Shaped America. We are talking today about Free to Choose, uh, uh, Rose and Milton Friedman's personal statement that came out in 1980. Uh, Peter, as we were talking before we went live, I just came back from New Zealand, from the South Island. New Zealand uh, seems to be a country that works quite well, a, a balanced economy, strong role of the state, uh, no homelessness, no radical inequalities. America, of course, is in vivid contrast. Uh, to, to what extent do you think um, th this Friedman argument of free to choose, has it shaped America since 1980? I'm not suggesting that everyone has read it and the book has changed America, but the themes of the book have certainly been enormously influential, haven't they? And they still are today. And that, like I mentioned, Rose Friedman was very active in school choice, a topic that is discussed, debated, implemented today. And inflation, the causes of inflation, the role of the, the central bank, things like this. Um, these are all issues. So in that sense, Andrew, to go back to a previous statement that you made, did they win? In a sense, yes because we are discussing this. We are, many of us, suspicious of the role of government or you know, saying, okay, what is the exact role of government? And am I free to choose this issue? Am I free to choose that issue? Um, so in that sense, there, there is a victory for the Friedman School of Thought. And, and we are being very generic by calling it the Friedman School of Thought. It, he, created a lot of this discussion. Um, but if you, like I said, if you go back to 1980 and look at the government then and look at the government today and look at the role of government and, and look at all the different things that have happened in the last 43 years, are we, are we, on, a, are we on a path where government gets bigger and bigger and the deficits get bigger and bigger and the taxes get higher and higher or are we 
taking a different tack? Are we, are the uh, policy debates keeping it in check? And I'm not advocating certainly one way or another. I'm just trying to give you my sense of what the country was like. What's the unemployment rate today? It's maybe 3% ish, three and a half. In 1980, it was 7.5%. Inflation today, 5%, question mark. Back then, it was 14%. So, yeah, you could take some victories there if you were the Freedmans. Yeah. Do they address in the book the issue of inequality? We live in America of enormous yawning gap between the super rich the multi-billionaires, the Elon Musk's, Jeff Bezos's, Bill Gates of the world and everyone else, and a massively shrinking middle class. Did they understand that that might be, did they fear that might be one consequence of being free to choose that an unregulated or a relatively unregulated free market would result in, in in small groups of people winning massively and everyone else essentially losing? Or was this something that they simply never imagined? In, in, no, and that quote I read earlier about when you put equality in the sense of outcome ahead of freedom, you will end up with neither equality nor freedom. Um, I, I hate to put words in the freedmen's mouths and, and I will do so so ineloquently, <coughs> pardon me, but I think it would be safe to say that in their take, hey, I'm going to use another old Reagan line, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, maybe your boat got lifted higher than mine but a rising tide will lift all boats and there will be some that will be super successful, but overall it's a good thing that the tide is going up. Let's end by returning to the first couple of books in the series, Peter. Seems a long time ago now that you and I talked about Thomas Paine's Common Sense and, and the Federalist Papers, particularly Paine. How do you think uh, the Freedman's book, uh, uh, Free to Choose, fits with Payne's common sense? Uh, are they still pursuing freedom from aristocracy, freedom from feudalism, freedom from the old European way? They're both immigrants from Europe. Um, is there a, a continuity of theme in these books that shaped America? Is there a continuity of theme in the books? Overall, no. Different eras, different topics, different viewpoints. Payne and Friedman, yeah, I think you could draw some parallels between that. Um, the freedom from somebody else setting the rules for you or creating rules that, that don't benefit you. Um, they were a little, both I think were predisposed to the liber more libertarian in their own times. You know, pain again, you got to go back to the fact that this was, the fight was England and 
the War of Independence and Friedman, 100, 200 years of government programs. So they, I, you know, that would be a fascinating dinner conversation, wouldn't it, to have Thomas Paine and Milton Friedman at the same table? It certainly wouldn't if you added... Um... If you added uh, James Madison and, 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 and Alexander Hamilton, it would be a perfect dinner party. You have, <laughs> have Rose, uh, Rose Friedman there as well, and she wouldn't just be doing the cooking. Um, <laughs> finally, what about the Federalists and Friedman? Uh, the Federalists make a case for government as a place where people of different factions can essentially fight it out, and their idea of government was of a balance of power to enable one so, so to make sure that one faction wouldn't dominate. Does Friedman or do, do the Friedmans talk about that nature, that constitutional nature of government? Would they be in the Federalist camp or do you think they would have been anti-Federalists? Now you're making me think too hard for a Monday morning, Andrew. Um, I would, if I had to, if you made me vote, I would say anti-federalist, decentralized, um, less government oversight. Yeah, yeah. 